Welcome to the Wellbeing Podcast. Welcome into the room and into our conversation surrounding well-being in its many forms. So RJ Kaur is with us today on this podcast and he's going to have to tell us a little bit more about himself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am uh, an East Coast kid, very much feel like a fish out of water here on the West Coast, but Mm -hmm. I'm slowly adjusting. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an architect and a builder, so I do something unique where I do both design and construction, Mm -hmm. um, which is really rewarding in the sense that like I get to see everything that I design all the way through the process Mm -hmm. you know from like conceptual sketches all the way to like handing over the keys to a client Wow. you know which I don't think a lot of people get to say particularly architects and I think a lot of architects even my age Mm -hmm. you know it's pretty rare so I feel really blessed and fortunate for that Um, but at the same time it like it's actually really kind of frustrating and challenging to kind of see operate as an architect particularly in LA, because you see a lot of desire and a lot of architecture that's built that uh, just doesn't align with what I think architecture is supposed to be about. Mm. I think architecture is a form of art, Mm. and I think that a primary focus of art should be to create beauty. Mm. And traditionally, you know, like centuries ago, (laughs) you know, that was a long-standing desire and purpose of art Mm. was like to create beauty yeah and that beauty was important because you know we know the world is a challenging place we know it's broken and there's pain and there's discomfort Mm. and there's sorrow Mm -hmm. and beauty is one of these tools that's in the world to be a bit of a respite a bit of a consolation Mm. to us Mm -hmm. for having to kind of like there's a lot that we suffer that we go through and beauty is a is a is a means for seeing hope and 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 recognizing that there is like purpose and living mm. so beauty is important yeah I could talk a lot more about that but yeah <laughs> and architecture because it's a form of art I think shares that same purpose of creating beauty what a thesis there you go <laughs> I know. boom yeah. I know it's almost like it's almost like it doesn't give it credit to just like say it so succinctly and like, no love sentence. it yeah yeah you know almost okay so in a in a very 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 simple broad way I think that the experience of beauty leads to appreciation because we start to see the things around us, objects and environments, and we create, that creates appreciation. Mm-hmm. That appreciation kind of leads to peace, like inner peace, mm-hmm. and peace, I think, ultimately leads to joy. And yeah. I think, fundamentally, that's like what we should be striving for. And if I take like even one step further, I think, it's, I think joy is a requisite, a primary requisite for love. Like most importantly, being able to love yourself, like you have to have an inner sense of joy. And then of course, being able to love others. So on like a very, very, very broad, mm. you know, global level, I think that like, you know, beauty is a, a progenitor of kind of that whole, that mm. whole process of finding joy, ultimately being able to love people. Wow. I love this so much. It's so layered <laughs> because I love how this comes out of who you are, what you do, um, and that you've developed this lens and this appreciation for beauty and what it does on a very deep level. Um, I know my parents used to, like, just very specifically, my parents used to, like, joke that, like, when I was a kid, like, too young to even know what an architect was, I would, like, say I wanted to be an architect. So I've, like, never considered doing anything else. Um, Yeah, it's a really cool 
you know, it's a really cool blessing to just like kind of feel confident about what it is that like I'm supposed to do with my mm-hmm. life and just go for it. And, you know, kind of every step along the way I've been building upon, you know, my experiences and the, the things that uh, shape kind of my ethos about mm-hmm. what the built environment should look like. Yeah. And so that, and it starts to spill over mm-hmm. into other things rather than just like the physical act of drawing a building, mm-hmm. you know, it starts to inform like, how do I relate to people? How are people meant to relate to the city? Yeah. How are people meant to relate to one another in like a mm. built context? And it's just like, at some point you realize like, it's just life. Like, yeah. it, it, it basically informs the way I think about life and yeah. like what we're supposed to be doing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> if I could, there'd be like a mic drop, right? Now. Yes. You can leave now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We're done. Yeah. It's huge to be able to design a space and then facilitate interactions and life to be lived yeah, in a certain way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so that's like that's the tension about being an architect because I do consider it an art, but there's such a functional and pragmatic mm-hmm. factor to it as well. You know, that's almost even more important sometimes where like spaces have to be usable as well. Mm-hmm. The problem is that contemporary art and architecture has done away with any notion of the beauty in art and instead pushed it completely to either the cult of utility or the cult of ugliness Mm. and kind of we it all I mean I'm I'm gonna start to dork out a bit here but like it all started kind of with like you know Marcel Duchamp where he like took this urinal he signed it and he said that that was art mm. um, and it's essentially it was actually like you know a bit of a grotesque crude yeah. object but his like whole rejection of what art used to be like mm. it was it was you know in one way he's trying to say like I want to get rid of art the same way like people got rid of religion you know he's quoted as saying that mm. and like the kind of fallout or the the, the, the the response to that was like now anything can be art if we say it's art mm. instead of you know we're we're creating something beauty based on skill and talent mm-hmm. and the eye of an artist mm-hmm. now anything can be art and it's not about creating beauty it's about creating originality mm-hmm. and so now you lose creativity you lose originality you lose uh you know you lose talent you lose skill so mm-hmm. originality just leads to so what's shocking what is shocking and something's not only shocking the first time you see it mm-hmm. so there's like this constant perpetuation of okay what is shocking it becomes more and more crude and more and more mm-hmm. grotesque yeah um, and so now we see where contemporary art is in a place where you know we have so many things that we're, we're being bombarded with that are meant to just create shock or create effect mm-hmm. I mean what that does is it basically makes us kind of a bit a bit dull right because we're we were so hyper stimulated and we're hyper yeah we're hyper stimulated by stuff that isn't positive and isn't beautiful Mm. and this is kind of a big problem in my opinion wow no that's so good and it reminds me of i don't know if you've ever played sims Mm -hmm. yeah but when i was younger i remember my brother saying oh that one little um bar uh, um it's like aesthetic bar or oh, something. that's right yeah, it's yeah. like yeah yeah when you're more advanced you can care about that like you can put up paintings in the home uh, and it'll kind of make the sim happier right and it's like, wow that is a bar that we will have really in ourselves too right like have we seen enough beauty today have we noticed uh, it and are we letting it fill up yeah that's tank? that's a great analogy and i think like absolutely we do 
but we probably don't recognize it as as like a valuable necessity mm. instead it's kind of this hey it's a nice additive if like we get around yeah. to it yeah but i would make the argument that like it's more important than that yeah yeah, I agree. I think it's essential. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's that's part of, like, my whole um, frustration with kind of, like, the context in which I'm operating. Like, you know, of course, there's, like, challenges of contemporary art. I think, mm-hmm. m- you know, modern art movement was, like, the biggest criminal in this whole, like, rejection of beauty, you know, particularly with, like, you know, at the turn of the century, like there are these all these architects who were developing what they call the international style and like this modernist aesthetic, mm-hmm. which was a rejection of ornamentation and decoration. And there were like a lot of, you know, political and, and, and social events at the time that were forcing these things to happen. They weren't happening in a vacuum. And, and there's reasons mm-hmm. why it happened, you know, like fallout from World War One and these things mm-hmm. where people were trying to unite the world to create like a an international style or, mm-hmm. or generic type of architecture that everyone could relate to mm-hmm. but in reality what it did it just like stripped us of the the things that made architecture beautiful mm-hmm. and like there's a, a very famous architect named louis sullivan who you know is credited with saying you know form follows function mm-hmm. and so architecture at that point became not about what it looked like and instead it became about what is its function? Mm-hmm. What is its use? And that's like that's a huge di- like shift in yeah. dichotomy, right? Uh, it, it, and so, like, we haven't recovered from that yet. Mm. Hundred years later, we're still kind of struggling with what should the we spend ninety percent of our time in buildings, whether it's a work or play or school, and like the actual spaces around us are fundamentally affecting like how we feel about ourselves and how yeah. we relate to other people. And we're still, we're still struggling with trying to recover from this modernist movement that basically turned our spaces from you know beautiful places that we mm. should be inspired by yeah. to functional boxes in which we just operate. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that is so profound because I think that, as you said, it leaks into how do we feel about ourselves and are we useful as people? Mm-hmm. You, you lose enjoyment of life or even the value in just enjoying exactly exactly like i think being attuned to our emotions is like one huge step in just like feeling living fulfilled lives and like that attenuation to our own personal emotions is like a it's it's a nuanced and like pretty sophisticated thing that we have to work on being able to do mm-hmm. and if we're and, and if we're not giving a lot of like attention to it it's very easy to lose that how do you uh, make sure that you are living out this ethos? Well, very specifically, like, you know, everything that I try to design, yeah, I want it to be beautiful. That's the primary focus of, like, how I approach work. Mm-hmm. What's unfortunate is that, like, architecture is being taught in a way where the goal is not beauty, it's to create something interesting. Mm-hmm. And that interest can come in whatever form, you know. It, even if it's jarring or or or, or a, a, t- a space full of full, full attention or full of of, um, of discomfort, like mm-hmm. that's still interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, from an academic sense, that's considered like maybe good architecture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's this disconnect between like what we need as humans and yeah. what's like being taught to the people who are like producing mm-hmm. this stuff. I think like I think there is 
so much need and desire for places that create comfort and they create environments in which people can more easily relate to one another mm-hmm. and I and I think that that like that, that that sense of comfort comes from you know places that are inspiring and beautiful mm-hmm. like I mean even if you, even if you just think of the term like beauty is actually like what we call an aesthetic term and there are a couple you know like the beauty the sublime grotesque picturesque these are all terms that were meant to be aesthetic and those terms were actually not they didn't necessarily describe what you saw but they described very specifically the emotion that you received when ex- observing mm-hmm. this thing that was mm-hmm. described by it. so beauty used to like we've bastardized the definition of beauty now and allowed it to evolve and blur the lines of what 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 it what it means you know we mm-hmm. we, we can say everything can be beautiful now right mm-hmm. it can be beauty and chaos and disorder and, and, and ruin and, and in void and silence but traditionally there was like a very def- there was a very explicit definition of beauty and it was the emotive response to seeing a collection of elements and forms and colors that created a perfectly ordered whole that, oh, wow that hits <laughs> yeah that was the that's the original definition of beauty mm. and we've lost that obviously but if you think about that essentially what that's trying to evoke is harmony like a sense and feeling of harmony mm. that's the purpose of beauty is to be able to elicit that emotion from you right so that's it that underlies like why it's so important you know like mm. flowers i think are like just this perfect example like they don't really have so much function or utility in life other than just to simply be beautiful of course they like are part of this ecosystem that now like provides pollen to bees and the bees mm. are part of this like larger um network and you know then that network of relationships in and of itself is like a beautiful network right but a flower's primary purpose is to be beautiful Mm. like there is nothing more than that and that's okay like recognition of that Mm -hmm. allows you to have appreciation for like the natural world yeah appreciation that it was like that it was described and prescribed and ordered in the way that it is in Mm. order to like fulfill that specific fundamental need that we as humans have yeah <laughs> just stand there and look pretty yeah yeah yeah. Evening, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right. yeah 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 right yeah 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 exactly <laughs> you're fulfilling like you know what the world is meant to be mm. yeah beauty is like the, it's that's the harmony and the beauty that's an easy one for us that's an easy aesthetic term for a lot of us to be able to experience because it's so easily accessible right Mm -hmm. it's around us if we're able to know that we're looking for beauty we can experience it right and i think developing that kind of emotional awareness allows you then to ultimately be able to experience kind of more nuanced or sophisticated emotions like for example sublime is another term that i'm like personally really fascinated with and the, the definition of sublime is the emotion of experiencing awe or wonder from exactly from being in a space or place that is so kind of vast or grand or large that's almost incomprehensible what the scale of it is and that of course has like very very kind of spiritual undertones to it 
but that is like a, that's a far more like sophisticated emotion that like we might not be capable of even recognizing or appreciating mm-hmm. if we haven't kind of started with the baby steps you know like beauty is like those are like the training wheels of the emotional world right start opening yourselves up to these like kind of higher levels of emotional response by stepping back and, and saying okay first and foremost i'm just going to look for beauty in the world mm-hmm. understand what harmony is allow that to like give me a sense of appreciation and, and you know and uh ultimately like kind of joy mm-hmm. now i'm like i've given myself the foundation to understand the effect of emotions on my life and i can start to be able to recognize these like higher levels of emotions I, I, could, I could keep going. I love it, especially just having the vocabulary to explain a psychological kind of experience, you know, and having, right, the, the terms for it and mm. describing beauty in that way. Yeah. yeah well, it's just amazing to see it all kind of fit, just make yeah. sense. And it's, it's cool and it's also sad because it's cool because this language exists. It's sad because, you know, for people 100, 200, 300 years ago, these weren't like, these weren't so, you know, unfamiliar. We're relearning them. That's right. We have to relearn them because we've kind of, there have been these periods of time and, you know, in recent time, kind of these modernist movements that have rejected these Mm -hmm. things, right? Mm -hmm. And now, like, when people describe us in in a... time of postmodernism, mm. we're wallowing in this like no man's land of like trying to figure out what we are supposed to be doing because mm. we kind of I think that collectively a lot of fields have recognized like hey the modernist movement both in art and architecture and in, in writing and literature had a lot of flaws you know mm. and so we're, we're, we're trying to recover from that but we don't know where to go you know my argument would be like hey look we already kind of figured out a lot of this stuff in the past like let's look back to mm. you know how people and why people operated the way they did mm-hmm. I mean like going back to this term of sublime like that's that's why you know all the gothic cathedrals were built and designed the way they were obviously there were a lot of like political and economic factors that were forcing those things in the way that they were but fundamentally the, the experience was to create a place in which you experienced, you were experiencing the sublime, mm. so that your this awe that was created, this uh, this awe for the physical place was a synonym for the awe that you would have for you know God's power and glory, mm. and being in that place was like meant to kind of enforce you know that that uh, that relationship there. Yeah. And like that's they knew it, they got it, they understood it, and they actually built these incredible monu- monuments that we still look back at mm-hmm. today, 300, 400 years later, yeah. that we have not have come close to like producing anything nearly as, as beautiful as those are, right? Mm-hmm. Because like they got it back then. Mm-hmm. We just like we've forgotten and like we just kind of like are are not interested in like going back there to learn from it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I just thought of like this piece is worth a hundred years of my life and my children's lives yeah, yeah, yeah. to make these curve cue, you know, arches and whatever That's it might right. be. It's like, it's worth it because it's 
tr- like creating a transcendent experience. That's right. It adds to that whole place. Yeah. Right. Like, like you said, there's these there's these myriad little elements that if they were removed, you know, then re- you know they take away from that experience. Philip, there's a really famous Philip architect named Philip Johnson. He's kind of one of the the godfathers of the modernist movement. He actually like t- coined the term international style. He's like very famously quoted as saying, you know, he, he said once, I, I, I don't know how you could possibly go into the nave of the Chart Cathedral in France and not break down weeping mm-hmm. because it's innate in human beings to be overcome with that emotion of awe when in that particular place. Mm-hmm. The irony is that he like, you know, he created this whole movement of modernist architecture that rejected all ornamentation and decoration mm-hmm. and like actually is like a reason why we, we don't have any of that mm-hmm. anymore in our buildings. It's just like, in my mind, I just like can't understand how he could say this one thing yeah. and then, you know, have, have produced the work that he did. But, you know, I think that he was also, there were, he had, he went through a myriad different styles as well and kind of produced a lot of different work that was incongruous as well. So, you know, it's, it's funny how we, we can recognize this even personally, how mm-hmm. evident it is we need beauty, we need uh, these emotive responses, and yet still be like influenced by the culture and the times and the things that we do say and think mm-hmm. don't align with like what we innately just kind of believe. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what creates a lot of tension and anxiety for people is that, which is a big piece of why like, we don't feel well sometimes I think uh, like psychologically mm-hmm. is that like there is a tension between what we're told by our context our mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. and what like we really need and should be doing as like just how we were built as human beings I think mm-hmm. and that tension is just like what's building so much anxiety for people mm-hmm. I fully believe we're conditioned by our environment mm-hmm. and our context so like yeah, the, the, the people with whom we interact, like the work that we do, the, the, the content that we consume, mm-hmm. I think places and, you know, builds these, these layers and these films, almost these lenses mm-hmm. through which we see our world. Like, and so like, I think, you know, because I, you know, I've talked to people who, who, who don't necessarily see beauty in the things that like I would say you know maybe they are beautiful mm-hmm. or like don't necessarily have the same kind of definition or they say like beauty is 100% subjective you know it doesn't have this necessarily this objective definition with which like we used to think about mm-hmm. beauty and I think that like if we don't see beauty in these like traditional ways it might be that there's like that might be an indicator that there is something wrong not mm-hmm. not something wrong with us as an individual but there's something wrong with the lens through which we're perceiving the world and that, you know, that lens that's created by our context might be discolored or it might be mm. blurry mm. or it might be obscured by, like, the things that we're consuming or the people that we're around or, like, mm. you know, like, literally the, the things that we're engaging in every day. So that might be, like, a really easy indicator that, like, hey, maybe my, my context is discoloring the way that I'm, I'm actually perceiving mm. the world and, like, mm. hey, maybe I should make some changes. That, you know, that's, it's, you know, it's obviously difficult to say these, like, blanket statements, but I think that, that, you know, it's, it's important for us to recognize, like, hey, 
the things that are around us have an impact 100% on the way that we see the world. Yes, 100p. Yeah, Um, yeah, and that makes me think of um, children and how Mm -hmm. aesthetic experience is so important. It's like the senses and just being immersed and noticing balance and how and colors and harmony like all that stuff um and how children we use those words all the time to describe children they're so they're full of awe wonderment yeah yeah it's like how can we tap into that yeah exactly i mean and that's a hundred (laughs) percent because they haven't been they haven't been conditioned by society yet to like have these inhibitions or 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 you know, see the world differently than what they're meant to be. That's like why we, we look at like a kid's painting and we still call it beautiful, even though it may not be like super, there might not be like a sophistication in like the skill level, but like we still think of it as beautiful because it's a direct translation of like how they see the world. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's pure and it's innocent and it's, and it's unfiltered, I guess, mm-hmm. in a way by like a corrupted lens, Yeah, you know? I guess the final thing is just if there is one thing that you want listeners to take away, what would that be? This topic is specific and personal to each person. I think what I would encourage people to do is find a place where they can experience beauty and make it a point to go there often. My specific place is the Huntington Gardens, like in Mm -hmm. Pasadena. It's like my favorite place in LA because it's just, it's nature and you don't feel like you're in the city and you're surrounded by like these very like manicured gardens and it's just a beautiful place to be and it's peaceful mm-hmm. and it's restful and it's a respite from like the city. Find a place like that for you and do it, go for it and make it a priority. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be listening to this one again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem at all. Being here. Yeah, of course. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to get involved, go to our page www.thewellbeingpodcast.com and contact us for a recording session. We would love to hear from you.